God's beloved people, grace to you and peace from God our Creator and from our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When we gathered here on Ash Wednesday this past week, Pastor Rood reminded us that Lent is a countercultural season. In a go, go, get, get world, this is a season to slow down a bit in order to focus on those things that stand at the center of our faith, a gracious God, the promises that are ours in Christ, the call to live as his people in the world. These are not realities that go in and out of season. They are ever-present. But in Lent, we are invited to clear away distractions and renew practices that help us remember what is primary to us as Christians. Lent is a very practical season in that way. We get to practice faithfulness. Salvation, we know, is a gift. Faith is also a gift as the Spirit empowers us to trust a gracious God. But faithfulness takes practice. It requires cultivating, tending, nourishing, what does a faithful life look like? There isn't one right answer to that question. Faith finds all kinds of creative expression. But a good place to start is with the covenant of baptism. Each time we affirm our baptism, we make these commitments to live among God's faithful people, to hear the word of God and share in the supper, to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed, to serve all people following the example of Jesus, and to strive for peace and justice in all the earth. These words serve as a compass for our Christian walk. Putting them into practice isn't a matter of slavish duty, but of loving relationship with God, with each other, and with the world God loves. In some small way, our faithfulness is meant to reflect God's faithfulness to us. So practicing our faithfulness isn't about religious rules. It's about identity and relationship and call. We see this in both texts that we heard this morning. On the first Sunday in Lent each year, we hear the story of Jesus, freshly baptized, contending with the devil in the wilderness where Jesus' identity was put to the test. The voice of the devil did its best to drown out the voice of God that Jesus had heard in baptism. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The devil was wily and persistent, but the spirit of God is strong in the wilderness. Jesus remembered who he was and to whom he belonged. He was faithful. Faithfulness is born of knowing who we are and whose we are. We see this in the first reading as well. <clears throat> A few weeks ago when I saw that this passage from Deuteronomy was the appointed text for today, I had to smile because this is the time of year that we are asked to consider our financial giving to St. Mark's for the upcoming year. It's one piece of our overall stewardship of this congregation. Now, I'm aware that the word stewardship can make people groan, 
It's like we're all afraid we're going to get slapped with a bill that we don't want to pay. We avert our eyes like students in a classroom that don't want to be called on. But I think this story from Deuteronomy is helpful. It calls us into a broader perspective. It's a beautiful picture of what's at the heart of faithful stewardship. Stewardship is not about paying bills. It's about identity and relationship and call. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness of Sinai, the Israelites were perched at the entrance to the promised land. They were filled with hopes and dreams. Moses took time with them to consider how they would live once they arrived in the land. What practices would reflect their relationship with God? How would their daily habits reflect the freedom that God had won for them, the manna that God had provided them, the wisdom that God had shared with them? How would they live in freedom and gratitude and trust? One practice, Moses told them, would be first fruits giving. <coughs> Excuse me. When the land yielded its harvest, regardless of how robust or anemic that harvest was, the Israelites would bring the first fruits of that harvest to worship and offer them in thanksgiving. And when they offered this gift, they would tell their story, the story of God's faithfulness to their ancestors, the story of God's salvation. These practices helped them remember their relationship with God. Season by season, this practice reminded them that their worth and their security and their hope did not lie in the bounty of their harvest alone, but in the faithfulness of God. The Christian practice of first fruits giving has its root in this story. The wisdom of the ancestors has been passed down to us. We are invited to be intentional in our giving, to set aside a portion of our income off the top as an act of thanksgiving and worship. First fruits giving is not about paying church bills. It's a spiritual practice like prayer, a way of expressing our gratitude and our trust in God. To choose to give away a chunk of your income is countercultural. It's not easy but it has power. I experienced this early in my adult life. When I was just out of college, I got my first teaching job in Seattle. It was my dream job, and I signed a contract for $16,000, which seemed like so much money. Growing up, I'd seen my parents write their check to our church whenever payday rolled around. So as an adult, it seemed natural to me to write a check each month to the church I was attending. My roommates thought I was a little crazy. This was the early 80s when yuppies and disposable income ruled the Seattle landscape. Many of my friends got jobs at a little startup in Redmond called Microsoft, and Gordon Gecko was pronouncing from movie screens everywhere that greed is good. I'm dating myself here. I was not an ascetic. I had more than enough. But when I look back, I realize how important that practice of writing the check was. It was one way I stayed tethered 
to my primary identity. I wasn't just a yuppie. I was a child of God, joined to Christ, called to walk in his way. In the swirl of consumption going on around me, the practice of first fruits giving helped me stay oriented to not lose my way or lose my sense of what my life was for. First fruits giving is a countercultural practice because our culture is very attached to wealth. The voices are always there. You will not have enough. You will miss out. You will not keep up with everyone else. You will not look as successful as everyone else. These voices are wily and persistent, but they are not of God. We know this. Our worth does not come from a bank balance or our possessions. Our worth is a gift of a gracious and loving God who has blessed us with every good gift, who calls us to live in a similar posture of generosity and grace. Our security and our hope lie in a Savior who walks with us each day, giving us strength and courage like manna. These are the relationships that define our lives as Christians. And in this community, we cultivate faithfulness and generosity. We get to practice it together, encouraging one another, reminding each other of what is at the center, the grace of God poured out for us in Jesus Christ. May our lives reflect this gift, and may we walk these 40 days together with intention and care. Thanks be to God. Amen.